to the state. She's a lawbreaker. She's a number. She's an inmate. Just someone else who's a danger to society and has got to be removed as far away from us as she can be. But to God, she's a daughter. She's loved. She's cared for. And she's broken the heart of God by what happened to her, what happened through her, and then what she did. I don't know about you, maybe you didn't grow up in a world like that, but that story is is eerily close to my story. I can relate to every aspect of it. As a matter of fact, if it wasn't for the sheer absolute grace of God, I would be behind bars just like she ended up. And if we were all honest, there are things that we have done that a lot of inmates did that they got put in prison and we didn't. It's amazing, though, how we can justify our own actions and then judge the actions of others. Does that make sense? But so many people live in misery because of their past, because of the pain that they've experienced, because of hurt and rejection, abandonment, fatherlessness, or even worse, they've been shackled with abuse. At every street, business, church, school, and every prison, there are people that are struggling because of their past, lost and trapped. When you're outside of prison, there are lots of places that you can go for help. You can go to 12-step, you can go to our Celebrate, you can go to, you can go to all kinds of places and find help. But when you're inside, where you've been busted and the bars closed shut, where do you go for help? See, every, every number has a name, and every name has a face, and every face has a story, and every story matters to God. And that's why we are in God Behind Bars. That's why we're going to add, after Heart for the Harvest, in January, two more God Behind Bars campuses at Bledsoe Women's and blank. Why? because we care, but even more because God cares. And we can look and judge, but what we don't remember is that people didn't get to pick who they came home from the hospital after they were born, with, born to. They get to pick whether they were given away or taken. They didn't get to pick whether their parents would be loving and sacrificial or whether they would be abandoning or painful or hurting or abusive. None of us got to pick that, did we? That all happened to us. <clears throat> and what happens is so many people are shackled because of their past. But I am so grateful for the sacrifice and the continued sacrificing of faith promise and promisers at all of our campuses so that we can care for the perishing, we can rescue the dying. As we sacrifice and we give the good news, the hope of the gospel, people find freedom, they find love, they find acceptance, they get adopted into the family of God. And God has used our sacrifice for 21 years to, to deliver thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people, some behind bars and some that are not behind bars. But God has used it to rescue people because so many people are chained up, whether you're behind iron bars at, one of, at our God Behind Bars campus or whether you're out, still the chains are there. 
And so again, through this year's Heart for the Harvest, the offering we'll give next weekend, one of the things that we will do with that vision money is again, plant at Bledsoe County Women's and over at Morgan County Correctional, two more God behind bars. Why? Because God cares about people no matter where they are, no matter what they've done, no matter what's happened to them. And I am so grateful as a pastor of 21 years of sacrifice of promisers who had no idea that we would be where we are today, but they sacrificed over and over and over. The first bit, when we started this church and then the first building fund and over and over, they had been so faithful. Now, I shared with some of our services and campuses last weekend, but our first weekend at Heart for the Harvest, a new family, young family came up and said, we want to be the first to give in this Heart for the Harvest. We want to be first to sow a seed of sacrifice because we believe what God is doing. And they brought a bag of gold coins worth almost $50,000, said, we want to be the first to give and to, and, and to sacrifice. See, that's the heart of faith promise. Is it church? Is that still our heart? And out of the seeds of that sacrifice, out of that sacrifice that was given, a few thousand other families will sacrifice next weekend, and God will take and he will break and multiply that offering like Jesus broke the loaves and the fishes, and he will feed and rescue and care for thousands and thousands of people. See, what, how we'll, we'll all sacrifice. There'll be single mothers that will sacrifice. There'll be couples. There'll be senior adults on fixed incomes that will sacrifice. There'll be businessmen and women who will sacrifice. There will be people who will bring bags of gold, and there will be people who will bring their lunch money. As a matter of fact, I love it. We always start Heart for the Harvest on Wednesday night with our student ministries. And the students will give this coming Wednesday night, and they will bring their lunch money and their piggy bank money because they don't have much. Amen? But they will sacrifice, and we'll let you know next weekend what that was, and next weekend we'll bring our offerings to the Lord, and we will say, God, here. Because, see, every week we give, but that, is the, that, that funds the daily operation. Heart for the Harvest funds additional vision and ministry that we can never do. And I got to tell you, Nothing humbles my heart more than watching people sacrifice for the gospel and the vision that God has given our congregation. For watching people sacrifice for souls. Un, it's just, I'm, I'm blown out of the water. Because I'll, I'll find out stories and, and it just, man, it just humbles me. I don't know about, if you knew all that was going on, it would do, this, it would do the same for you. Now, Remember the first week we started with a trek to the top of the mountain where we caught our first vision of the Tennessee God Sees. And if you missed that message, I want to challenge you. Go online and get that message. You can go to Faith Promise, our website, our app, and podcast it or listen to it. And we climbed to the top of that mountain together, and we heard the words of Habakkuk, the, the prophet of God, to write down the vision and make it plain that those that read it may run with a vision. For the vision is for an appointed time, and it is coming. It will not delay. We talked about that, and, and I want to challenge you to get that, but, but if you go back and think about that vision, we're on the mountain. Imagine, if you would, that we're on the mountain, and we get the news that there is a small child that's lost on the mountain. Let me ask you, would we wait on the path for the child to find their way back home? Is that what we would do? No, would we, would we get in committees and argue how much a helicopter costs or search and rescue? Is that what we would do? 
Now, would we say, I already searched, it's not my turn, let somebody else do it. Is that what we would do? No, we would do everything we could do regardless of the cost to find that child. Because that's what you would do regardless of the cost, regardless of the effort. And that's what we would do. In, in James chapter 5, it says this. James chapter 2, if a brother or sister is without clothing, if they're lost, if they're in need of daily food, and, each of, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled. And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that church what use is that we have the gospel if we don't give the gospel what use is we have a vision and we don't fund the vision that little child lost on the mountain we keep looking searching working without food or sleep until that child is found and all around every one of our campuses there are boys and girls men and women like on that video that are lost and it is our job commanded by our king jesus that we go after them And people say, well, you know, man, you just want to build a big church. Now, we're already a big church. No, I want to make it hard to go to hell in Jesus' name because everybody matters. Most people that say you just want to build a big church don't want to have one. They want a small church so it can be all about them instead of that boy or girl that's still lost. Let me give you a thought. When someone is lost and not alone in the dark, the cost to find them is of no consequence. And you know what? There are a lot of us that have got some lost kids, some prodigals that are out there, some spouses, some parents, some aunts and uncles, some friends, some classmates, some coworkers that are out there. We are not going to sit idly by, marking days off the calendar until Jesus comes, gets us. When he comes back, he's going to find us faithfully serving in his field. Amen? Doing everything that we can do because he did everything that he needed to do so that we could go to heaven. John the Baptist said in Luke chapter 3, verse 11, he said, the man that has two tunics is to share with him that has none, and he that has food is to do likewise. We're to share, we're to care. Now, the gospel was paid for by our Lord on the cross, right? Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood, gave his life for all of us. And yet now what does the gospel require of us? It requires mercy. It requires sacrifice from us. And as we consider the cost that Christ paid, there is no sacrifice too big for us to reach out to those that have not yet been brought in to the gospel. So next weekend's our, our Heart for the Harvest offering. Let me ask you a question. If you're listening, say I am. What are you willing to sacrifice next weekend? What are you willing to say we'll do without this year so that we can, that we can do that, so that we can give, so that we can put those campuses in those prisons, so that we can build new campuses, so that we can expand our current campuses? What, what, are we, what, are, what, are we, what were we willing to sacrifice? If I had time, I would, I, would, I would dissect Deuteronomy chapter 15 for you. I want to challenge you and go read that. Deuteronomy 15 uh, God is teaching Moses and giving him an, an ordinance, a law that the children of Israel to follow. It's called the year of release or the sabbatical year. We know God says every seven days rest, it's a sabbatical day. And then he said every seventh year, it's a day of release. It's a day that we set free all the captives, all the slaves are set free, all the people in debt, all the debt is forgiven. Why does God do that? Two reasons. Number one, he doesn't want you to live as a slave forever. And number two, he doesn't want you to be in debt forever. So every seven years, everybody is set free in Israel. 
The second reason he did it, and he explains both of those in Deuteronomy 15, is that he wants you to remember that you were a slave in Egypt and God redeemed you. The Israelites drank at the, you know, the, the, the four cups. One of the cups is the cup of redemption because they were slaves and God went and got them and brought them out of Egypt and brought them into a land. Hey, those of us that are born again, we were slaves to sin. Our sins were paid for. We were born again by the blood of Jesus. And now we live in freedom. We drank the cup of redemption. Secondly, he wanted to remind them that they all owed a debt that they could never pay, and God paid the debt. So every seven years, all the debts were forgiven. We owed a debt that we couldn't pay. Our sin, who can ransom him, who can give a ransom for his own soul? Nobody. And so every time we sacrifice, just like the Israelites, we're reminded that we once were slaves, we once were debtors, and now we've been delivered. Now we've been set free. Now we walk in victory, and we want everybody to experience that same victory that we have. So let me ask you a question. Can we think as it ought to think? Now, I know that drama was, you know, that's, you know, to watch you after that. See, my tendency is when you're down is to pick you up. Really. I mean, Saturday night service is difficult. People watch that drama, and man, for about five minutes, folks are just sitting in that, and I was trying to lift them out. I should have let everybody wallow in it. But it's my, it's, it's my, I want to, I want to, I want to pick people up. I want to, I want to help people move away from that. But we've got to realize that we live in a G-rated church in an X-rated culture. You see, we come to church and we gloss over everything. That's the reason we ask you to put your kids in kids' ministry because the big room is R-rated. Actually, it's not R, it's barely PG-13. What you saw in that video, you'll see in any, in any show on any primetime network at 6 o'clock. But we're not used to it in church. Because, see, in church, it's la-la land. Don't worry. Be happy. While there's a world going to hell in a handbasket. Now, people say, the election's Tuesday. Why don't you, why don't you preach on the election? Because who's going to get elected? Who's going to get elected? It won't affect God one little bit. One little bit. One little bit. So that, why do we sacrifice? Because we were slaves and we were debtors and we've been set free. So let me ask you a question. What sacrifice and whose sacrifice did God use to win you? Aren't you glad that when you found your way to church, somebody had bought a building and paid for a seat and there were people ready there to take care of your kids? Aren't you glad there were greeters to welcome you and folks to, to welcome you in and you heard the gospel and were saved? Aren't you glad somebody sacrificed before you? That's just what we do. Come on. One generation for the next. We sacrifice the gospel. One generation giving it to the next and the next and the next. That's what we do. That's the deal. And, I, you know, I do a lot of training. I was in England this last week training, again, the top 50 churches in the U.K. And one of the things that people ask me everywhere I go is, hey, we know you're contemporary. What about your senior adults? What do they do? And I said, we have the best senior adults in any church in America. In America, because most of the senior adults everywhere I go fight the pastor and the vision because they want it the way they want it. You know what? Our senior adults didn't grow up with the contemporary praise music. They grew up with the hymns, and they like hymns. And so what, why do our senior adults wear earplugs in the worship? 
Why do our senior adults come and put up with that? Because they want their grandkids and their great-grandkids and their friends one to Jesus. That's why they do it. That's why. They say, it's not about my preference. It's about the kingdom of God. It's not about what I like. I don't care what style you are. You can, be, you know, you can like four-part harmony. You can like Stamps Baxter. You can like praise and worship. You can like hymns. You can like country and western. I don't understand that, but you might. But when you get to heaven, you'll get to sing whatever style you like. But we built a culture that welcomes lost people into our corporate worship. Are you with me? That's why we do what we do. And our seniors, man, are so grateful. One generation sacrifices for the next and the next and the next. That makes sense. And one of the reasons, there are a lot of reasons I do it. Number one is the Word of God, and it's commanded. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you one of the driving factors I still remember what it's like to be lost. I do. I remember what it's like to wake up in the morning, shame and guilt in you, and an empty heart, and feel like you were just the hollow man. There's nothing inside. And thinking, is this all there is? Is there no way out? Is there, is there nothing else to life? And then being saved, being forgiven, being loved by God, having the joy of the Lord, man, it was unbelievable. 35 years, it's still unbelievable. I want everybody to get some of that. Amen. Everybody to get some of that. So my question is, we think about the Tennessee God sees and the offering next weekend is, are you able to sacrifice or are you still shackled? A lot of people are still shackled. There are people that have not yet haven't even given the heart to Jesus. That's okay. Just hang out. You don't have to give. There are others. There are all kind of, but, but see, here's the deal, that if you're still shackled, shackled steps are shuffled steps. It's hard to run when you got leg irons on. If you're my age, you remember Tim Conway, Conway, Carol Burnett. It's hard to run like that, isn't it? See, nobody takes a trek to the top of the mountain with leg irons. Casting aside every weight and every sin that sweezily entangles us, let us run the race that is set before us. Let it run it with endurance. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is now set down at the right hand of God the Father. We keep on going. And that's why we wanted to expose you to the Tennessee God sees, the pain that's out there, the brokenness, whether it's the inner city or the prison or the suburbs or the farms, everywhere there are people struggling with what they've come through, with where they are and what's going on. We literally want to break your heart for what breaks the heart of God so that you will sacrifice and serve. We want to, we want to see God bend your knee and see God open your hand that you will advance the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? This is what we're about. The next week we talked about those that surrender more, see more. Because the more, that, the more you surrender to God, the more vision you get seeing. This weekend we're talking about those that trust God more, sacrifice more. Because they know the more they give to God, the more God gives back. Isn't that right? Is that right? Yeah. right Twelve people agree with that. Is that right? Yeah. Let me prove it by, listen, all the way through the Word of God. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says this. He that, I say, he that sows how? Will reap how? I ne- listen, I've never seen speedmates, how many Christians I talk to, that don't understand why their garden's empty that hadn't sown any seed. You want a full garden? Relationally, emotionally? You want a full garden financially and ministerially? You want a full garden emo- with, with, you know, spiritually? You want a full garden? Then you've got to sow some seed. 
No farmer would go out in the fall expecting to have a crop if he didn't put any seed in the ground. But yet we Christians believe that we cannot sow and reap. We can believe that we're not going to take care of anybody else, but everybody ought to take care of us. Does this make sense? He that sows sparingly will reap how? And he that sows will reap bountifully. So Paul is challenging us to sow some seed. I am begging you to commit to a lifestyle of sowing and sacrifice. Because if you start sowing and sacrificing now, you will reap a harvest you never dreamed, a bountiful harvest from God. In the last several years, my kids have started asking me, Dad, how come you get so much? It's not fair. We should get more. I said, you don't deserve anything. And here's here's the deal. I'm kidding with them, but listen, I say, what you're watching is the biblical principle of sowing and reaping. Your mother and I have sown for 35 years the Word of God, the heart of God, the ministry of God. We have sown generosity. We have sown serving. We have sown loving people in. It is coming back to us, pressed down, shaking together, and running over for how you give it out. It's coming back, baby. It's coming back. And so you want a full garden of friends and ministry and love and family? You want a full garden of joy and victory and abundance and spirit-filled life? Sow some seed. Come on. Don't sit around having a pity party while you hadn't sown anything if you hadn't put any seed in the ground. Does this make sense? See, those that trust, scatter. But the more you scatter, the more you up. It's biblical principles, Old Testament, New Testament. It's from Genesis to the book of the Revelation. It is there. But can I tell you something? Shackled hands can't scatter seeds. And so when you're bound up, you can't scatter any seed. You, can't, you, don't, you don't scatter anything. And you wonder why you don't get anything because you don't give anything. Proverbs chapter 11 says this. There is one who scatters and yet does what? See, this doesn't work in our narcissistic world. See, if I scatter, I won't have enough. Because, see, that's an untrusting spirit. There is one who scatters, and yet he does what? Increases all the more. There's one who does what? Stingy, shackled, no scattering of any seed. There's one who withholds what is just to do, and yet results only in what? How can I keep all I've got and keep it and then just want more? Because you have a stingy spirit. You've not sown any seed. You've not reaped any joy. You've not reaped any victory. You've not reaped that harvest because you haven't planted any seeds because you're stingy, shackled. Are you with me? I love you. Some of you are even going to heaven. You're just not going to have anything waiting for you when you get there. (laughs) Not a sticker award. Not one well done, good and faithful servant, because you've lived your entire Christian life looking in the mirror, stingy and selfish, and serving you, and you're for and no more. Your vision doesn't get beyond the end of your driveway. When you get to heaven, God, Jesus said, you'll be saved by the skin of your teeth, but you'll have no reward when you get to heaven. And you'll be, frankly, in what's called the cheap seats. (laughs) Now, I know some people, I'm going to be their gardener in heaven that go here. Because I watch how they sacrifice and how they sow. There's one that, that withholds what is just to do, and it likes only what the generous man will what? Go prosper. The generous woman's going to prosper. And, and he that waters will himself be what? 
See, what you give out is coming back. You give out love, love's coming back. You give out care, care. You give out ministry, ministry. You give out generosity, generosity. You give out, it's coming back. See, scattering, those that scatter sacrificially, they increase, but the stingy, the shackled, they decrease. He said, it doesn't make any sense. I know, but God wrote the rules. He wrote the law. He wrote the book, and his way stands. And we're, I know, do, we, now, next weekend we'll have, I'm praying 7,000 because some people won't come because it's an offering. Amen? Come on. Some of you are already thinking about not coming. God knows. And he's going to tell me or we're coming to your house. The whole church, we're pulling up in buses next Sunday. And we're dragging your sorry keys around the front yard in your underwear. And so... And so, this is, so there, would you agree there's some hesitation by some of us? Yes. Let, me get, let me tell you why we hesitate. A hesitation to sacrifice comes from the limitation of trust. See, if I give next weekend, I won't have enough. Scarcity mindset. If I don't, I can't give, Pastor, you don't understand. I can't, I can't, it's, well, come on, there's no way I can give. And your garden is empty empty. Man, come on, trust God. We serve a God that loves to, that loves to bring it back. That's why I said, whatever you send out, it's going to come back, pressed down, shaking together and running over. But let me tell you what limits God. Nothing limits God. Nothing limits God more than disobedience. If you're in our Bible reading record, you're just, we're, we're in the book of Ezekiel. It's wild. Most creative preaching in the Old Testament. Disobedience and a lack of trust hinder God more than anything else. Have you ever thought this? Have you ever thought about 21 years ago, 22 years ago, those first promisers that started a church in a hotel in Oak Ridge, Tennessee? And they said when there wasn't one contemporary church in East Tennessee, they said, let's build a new church. Let's build a church that will make it hard to go to hell. Let's build a church that will win the loss. Let's build a church that will care. Let's build a church that will be different. Let's build a church with a different spirit. Let's build a church that honors God. And because of their sacrifice and their giving and all they've done, that 70 is now 7,000. And in 10 years, that 7,000 will be 50,000. You say, are you kidding me? Oh, just hide and watch, big daddy. Because God said what you give out is coming back. As we sacrifice, as we show seed, share seed to the gospel, God's going to bring family members. God's going to bring parents. God's going to bring brothers and sisters, neighbors, coworkers, teammates. God's going to bring people back, and it's going to be the most wonderful family reunion you have ever seen. That's why we do it, church. That's why we roll. But listen, bound givers, bound givers cannot be bountiful givers. Bound up by busyness, bound up by bitterness, blame, bank account. Hey, listen, if you don't have anything to give next, week, next weekend, don't worry about it. Don't, don't walk away. Listen, please don't walk away with guilt. Now, what I would tell you to do is save all year for the next, the harvest, because it'll happen in 53 more weeks next year. Some of you have been saving all years. Others forgot. I've been reminding you, though, because that's the kind of great, wonderful pastor I am. And so, but listen, don't feel guilty. Don't feel guilty. It's not about guilt. This is about glory to God. Some of you are bound by baggage, your past, just like we saw in that video. Now, I, you know, if you haven't flown much in the last 10 years, there's been a big change in the airlines. And one of the, one of the changes is, used to when you bought your ticket, you and your luggage got on the plane. <laughs> now when you buy your ticket, you get on, but you've got to pay extra for your baggage to go with you. 
Remember, if you haven't been, it's, it's, it's crazy. But you pay for your ticket, you get this. I'm sorry, sir, that's $50 per suitcase. Yeah, but I bought a ticket, I know, but you didn't pay for your baggage. So listen, those of you that are carrying baggage, you're paying an extra fare. Your life is sucking because you got junk in the trunk. In just a minute, I'm going to give you a chance to stand up and pray and ask God to break every chain in your life. And listen, open the trunk, dump that crap out, and let's move on in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's rock and roll on in Jesus' name. Let's move on. That after verse 6, each one must do just as you purpose in his or her heart, not grudgingly or compulsion. There are people that will take this, this envelope home, and they'll come for the offering next weekend, and they'll slowly work their way down to a basket or whatever our worship team, and they'll put it in, and they'll say, oh, I need that. Oh, I, oh. Come on, I, f- I feel I watch it. But the Bible says, don't give out a compulsion, that grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a what? Cheerful giver. The Bible, it's, in the Greek, is hilarious. Next weekend, there ought to be the greatest shouting of any service we ever had. Whoa, praise God, I've got money to give. See, instead of looking at, oh, my, I have to give, no, say, dear God, look at the money you've allowed me to give. I mean, when I was so broke, I couldn't pay attention. Didn't I have a cup to pin or winning to throw it out of? Thank God now, look, I got money to give. Whoa, dance on down the aisle, man, and drop that in. Thank you, God. I once was a slave. I'm free. I once was in debt. I'm set free. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We roll on. Be cheerful. You say, but I gave last year. I know. It's another year. You've been blessed this year? Anybody? It's just me. Amen. Listen, come on. The greater the trust you have, the greater return that you'll have. It's just the way it is. It's the way God did it. So are you bound or are you bountiful? Which way is it going to be? Cheerful God is able. And you say, but what will happen if I give? I'm going to tell you what. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all what? In everything. You have sufficiency in everything because our God is limitless. You give, he get, you shovel, he shovels back. He's got a bigger shovel. Just roll on. Amen. In everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. You're going to have a super abundance in everything you need when you're sowing generosity. Does this help? Because I can start over. <laughs> I love y'all. Sometimes I can't believe you come back the next week. It's really amazing. (laughs) That's how you know it's a God thing right there. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. Let me wrap this up with this verse. So, listen, the Bible is full of sowing. Sow with a view of what? Reap with a view of what? Break up your fallow ground. Now, he's not talking about the back 40, that you need to get disc out and till up to break out the dirt clod so that you can plant. He's talking about your heart. Break up the fallow ground. Break it up for it. It's time to seek the Lord. Break up. Do you think there's some people here got some dirt clods in their heart? Binding people up? Man, it is time to break up the fallow ground. Because you know what? Many of us have been like that video. We've had stuff done to us. We've been ditched, done wrong. We've been ripped off. We've been talked about, lied about. We've had people that we love walked out of our lives. And if we're not careful what it does, it makes calluses on our heart. But when your heart is callous, it's ordered and it affects everybody, God, and everybody around you. So today, we'll give you an opportunity, just a second, to stand. And we're going to lay hands on you. We're going to pray for you that God will break up your fallow ground. 
that you will sow with a view of righteousness, reap with a view of kindness, because it is time to seek the Lord until he comes to do what? Rain righteousness. Because if you want a full garden, you've got to have some rain. We need it in East Tennessee about right now. I used to have a yard, but it's gone. So listen, rain righteousness on you. So right now, if you, if, it doesn't matter what it is, but you've got some fallow ground. You've got some chains. We've talked about God behind bars and people that are chained up. If you really want, are we a family? Are we a family? Then if you need prayer, I'm just going to ask you to stand up right where you are. We're going to do what we call body life. Go ahead, stand up. Come on, pop up, pop, 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 pop. Come on. Listen, don't let pride keep you in your seat when you need prayer. Come on, our God is able. Our God is faithful. Now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to look around you, church, because we need somebody laying hands on everybody. Right here, it's going to be hard. You got about three or four rows. I want you to circle these rows, lay hands on each other, and all around. Are you ready? So go ahead and get up. Make your way to the people. Go ahead right now. See who you're going to. Going after. Put your hands on them. Begin to pray. You don't need to know what they're facing. God already knows. I know what you need before you even ask. So right now, go ahead. Go ahead right now. Our God is able. We serve a supernatural. We serve an abundant. We serve an amazing God. Maybe it's a stronghold of your past. Maybe your heart has grown hardened because somebody left you. Maybe it's grown hardened because somebody's lied about you. Wherever you've been, whatever you're facing, our God is able right now to make all grace abound. Holy Spirit of God, we ask you right now to break up the fallow ground. By humility, we have stood before you and in the great throng of worshipers and said, I need the Spirit of God to set me free. Jesus, you paid for every sin and every stronghold. God, you have come to set the captives free. God, faith promise you've given us an anointing of setting release to the captives. And so, God, we ask you to move in a supernatural, powerful, awesome way. So, God, we believe right now you're pulling down the strongholds. We believe right now you're peeling off the scars and the scabs and the calluses. We believe right now you're going to raise up within it. You're going to rain righteousness on us. And so, holy God, we love you, and we come to the only one that can. There's no doctor that can touch. There's no medicine that can reach into that heart. And God, right now, we ask you to move in glory, move in power, set the captives free, bind up hell, release us to worship and serve and bless your name. God, we come in the strong name of Jesus. We believe it, and we receive it, and in Jesus' name, we pray it. And all God's people said, all God's people said, come on. Let's go ahead and stand to your feet, everybody. Stand up. Give God some praise. Come on, I can't hear it. Give God a shout of victory in his house. What a mighty God that we serve. Woo! Now here's what we're going to do. Does our God deserve worship? We're going to worship. But we're going to sing two songs. The last song, our worship, my daughter-in-law wrote, and along with Justin, one of our worship pastors, about I declare this year is a year of declaration. It's a year of faith because without faith it's impossible to please God. So God has broken down some strongholds. He has torn it out, but now we are going to fill what he just cleaned with the Holy Spirit. So we're going to worship. God is going to move in right now. Y'all ready for some of that? So let's celebrate as we worship. <laughs> 